Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. A 13-year-old in Oklahoma just made international headlines for achieving something that most people didn't even know could be achieved. Even the people in the know, the people who are in that industry, because it is an industry, that hobby space, they didn't know that this could be achieved. And the nature of the achievement, the, the, the sort of digital space where it happened, kind of corresponds with something that you would hear quite often if you ever spent some time bagging groceries in a supermarket. And the experience of this thing that I hear a lot, uh, it isn't germane to grocery stores. If you have ever worked retail, if you've ever worked even just the front desk in a place where you have to interact with a rotation of customers, you probably have a list of like the canned remarks that people toss out when they come up and greet you or when they're trying to strike up conversation because the two of you are stuck together in that space. These are the remarks that customers toss off when they're, they're just trying to be friendly. And I've noticed, there's a corresponding theory to this, but I've noticed that it's usually the customers in dapper clothing. I've noticed it's almost entirely men who make these remarks and it's mostly men over the age of like 45 or 50. And I know that this is a theory that maybe has a, like a grain of self-pity in it, but I think it stems from both a vanity thing and a guilt thing. The charitable assessment, and there's definitely some truth to this, is to say that like, hey, they're just friendly people, and they see that you're here at your post and like, whatever, they want to make the best of the moment that you guys have to stand together. So they're going to make some small talk, and their shoehorn into that small talk, or maybe substantive conversation, is a tinny canned remark. But I feel like it's also an effort to sort of stand out from everyone else. There is a preening quality to the delivery of these remarks, and the meat behind the idea that maybe it's a guilt thing is that if you watch these guys when they're shopping, you see that like they're very subdued, they're browsing, they're pensive, and then if you happen to sort of jump ahead of them somehow, and you're at the register when it's time for them to pay, it's like a dramatic shift in gears. It's almost impulsive or compulsive, the way that these remarks fly out of them. Which is what makes me think that it might stem from some discomfort on their end of having a person provide a service, a kind of menial, mindless, monotonous, routine service in front of them, a service that they could be doing themselves. Like when it comes to bagging groceries, they'll watch you bag the groceries, they could help bag the groceries, but they don't, and instead they stand there and they make daddish jokes. It's a little tiresome, but it is innocent, mostly. If anything, it's commendable. They'll come up to the register and they'll say, hey, you look lonely. <laughs> or if there's nobody in line, they'll walk up with a smile and they'll say, hey, are you waiting for me? <laughs> or as they approach, they'll say, working hard or hardly working. <laughs> and then as they're walking away, they'll say, don't work too hard. <laughs> I know I'm overthinking this, but like implicit in that last one, hey, you were don't work too hard. I feel like they are insinuating that like they can see what I'm doing. They can see that it's not like labor intensive. And so they figure like, ah, that's bullshit. You're not getting paid for anything. And yes, this is me being hypersensitive. I realize that. But I get really like, ugh, I bite my tongue about it. I never confront anyone and I, do I try to keep it out of my facial expression. But when I'm there, when it's the end of the night, we're about to close and we get this tidal wave 
of people who are trying to scramble through the doors so they can do their leisurely 30 minutes of shopping when we will only be open for two more minutes, that's when I get really irritable. That's when I have also been on my feet for about seven and a half consecutive hours, and that's when I am, am most prone to get angry at someone saying, hey, you working hard or hardly working, and then bidding me farewell with, okay, don't work too hard. Porque yo soy un baby. But the pertinent remark in this case, uh, it comes up when I'm bagging someone's groceries. Again, usually it's a dude in his 40s or his 50s. He'll be standing off to the side as I'm bagging the groceries, just watching me do it like a pervert. And then at some point in the process, he'll go, hey, are you good at Tetris? I bet you're good at Tetris. That thing you're doing looks like Tetris. I will hear someone make a Tetris analogy three to five times a day. And the reason it's on my mind now is because of this news item from a couple days ago. And I think it is summed up most beautifully and succinctly by a headline in the New York Times with its magnificently Timesian phrasing. Here's the headline, quote, Boy, 13, believed to be the first to, quote unquote, beat Tetris. The New York Times has a paywall, though, so here's the gist of that story from the BBC. An Oklahoma teenager is believed to have become the first human player to beat Nintendo's classic video game Tetris 34 years after its release. Willis Gibson posted a video on his YouTube channel of the moment that he reached level 157, causing the game to crash. The 13-year-old fell back into his chair, declaring, I'm gonna pass out. I can't feel my fingers. <laughs> I think we've all been there, Will. It only took him 38 minutes to beat the game. Remarkably, until a few years ago, Players believed it was only possible to play up to level 29. Remarkable indeed. I get motion sickness pretty easily, so I don't really play video games anymore, but I do like to keep track of video game culture online somewhat. The reason I watch the videos about it, that's that's where I explore it, is pretty much just on YouTube. But the reason I like watching like all these commentaries and debates about video games online, video games that I have no interest in playing, that I will likely never play in my life, is because I'm endeared by a lot of these competitive gamers, or in some cases, professional gamers, because they appear to be driven by the same kind of pure, soul level, inexplicable, but totally sincere obsession with their craft. And it is a craft, like any kind of game, any kind of sport. A video game has materials and it has rules and it has a certain kind of space and there's room for strategy and imagination. It's the same obsession that you see manifest in sports documentaries, particularly, and these are my favorite ones, the bodybuilding and strongman documentaries, which I always find way more compelling than other sports documentaries because there's no team. It's just the competitor alone, not really knowing who they're competing against or how that person is going to perform or the strategies that that person is employing in their training. All they can do in their solitude, in their training, in their buildup, is push themselves as far as they can possibly go. And I mean this sincerely. I think that this kid's feat is pretty heroic. There's another article that says he would practice 20 hours a week, which which doesn't sound like probably the most spectacular thing ever, that this kid is basically making a part-time job out of playing video games. But what it also shows is that this kid has the capacity, the intellectual capacity, the, the wherewithal, to fixate on something, a goal of some kind, and then just 
chip away at it, hour after hour for weeks and weeks and weeks without seeing any sort of immediate payoff, just driven towards some goal out of a weird conviction that he probably would not be able to articulate if you invited him to do so. And yes, the thing that he's chipping away at is a video game that is quite likely older than his parents, which is weird, but it's also a testament to, to personality, I guess. Like, any kid can get obsessed. Any, any kid is likely to get obsessed by the newest, the most involved, the most stimulating, expansive video game on a modern console that just came out. But it takes some strange, specific stripes of weird for an 11-year-old. This is uh, going back, back to in 2021, to become so obsessed with Tetris on NES that he just fucking blindly commits to it and decides he's going to be the person to crash the game. And then... Three years later, he does it. So kudos to Willis Gibson. He's showcased some real moxie here, some real panache, and some real promise for his future. Take it from me, one Tetris master to another.